For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, psychologist, therapist, and author Susan Miner returns to talk about finding acceptance during times of transition and the difference between normal and natural behaviors. There'll be more previews from the potential broadcasters of tomorrow as we listen to some local fifth graders who entered the NPR Student Podcast Challenge. And Stories That Soar shares the surreal tale of a misunderstood clock that takes its sweet time learning how to make friends. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Susan Miner is a therapist, psychologist, author, and anxiety thought leader. She says she spent most of her life healing herself while working with clients and other therapists. In her teens, Miner found success as a supermodel, appearing on the covers of some of the most famous fashion magazines in the world. At the same time, she was living with depression, anxiety, and negative body image. Key to overcoming these emotions was learning to set attainable goals for happiness. As Americans are now trying to cope with the changing pandemic landscape, I asked Susan Miner to share her thoughts about acceptance and expectations. Susan, something I'd like to ask you about that really isn't new. It's something that I've experienced for a very long time in my life. I never know what to say when people ask me how I'm doing. And now I think when people are asking that question, there's a deeper level of intensity to it. People tend to make eye contact and say, how are you doing? (laughs) And I should be warm to that kind of compassion, but instead it always makes me go on the defensive. And I feel like somehow I have to put on some kind of front. I have to be the sarcastic rebel or I have to be the, oh, I'm fine. You know, things have been worse. (laughs) And I never have a natural response. Well, I think I would address it in two ways. First, um, how are you? Wow. I mean, that's a big question. Like, do you really want to know? Or do you want me to say, fine, how are you? Or do you want me to dive into really what's going on in my heart um, and what I'm working on introspectively, et cetera? Like, do you want that conversation? Which one do you want? Um, And then now, post-pandemic, you know, the deeper level I'm wondering if you're questioning the sincerity of that. You know, are people looking for um, truly what's going on with you because they've reached a deeper level of compassion? Or are they looking for the drama? Or are they looking for the conversations to be had um, to bond over whether you agree with this stance or that stance or, Mm -hmm. you know, what's going on in a drama kind of way? That could motivate some people. But I wouldn't say that I'm at all questioning their sincerity. It's gotcha. I instantly fold in on myself. And I find that I'm so bad at answering that question that people will often repeat it. So how are you? So, so how's it going? And then it, it just makes it worse. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'll turn the question back at you, Mark. What do you think it is that's inside of you that rebels against that question? You touched upon it a moment ago with the what do you really want to know? Like, how deep do you want to go? 
with most people, I don't really feel comfortable opening up or being that deep with them off the bat like that. It may be a problem with me answering direct questions because when I was a kid, I used to hate how was school today. That was an infuriating question because I wanted to state my dissatisfaction with the whole package (laughs) first and then maybe say, but, you know, we made volcanoes in science class and that was fun. Maybe it's the vagueness of the question. Maybe something like, uh, what did you hate about school today and what did you like? (laughs) Right. Or what was the dumbest thing you saw today at school? Maybe that would have been a good opening question. That might have um, been for me. That's that's opening a can of worms, but parents who are listening to this interview may actually draw a gem of wisdom from that, let's hope. Okay, so I don't want to at any time in this interview imply that I feel like the pandemic is over. Obviously, it's still taking a huge death toll in other nations, and we've got lots of problems going forward. But there is a change in the air in terms of how people are thinking about their pandemic situation. People are ending isolation and lockdowns to great numbers. But in a way, it seems like we're not really ready for it. We're out of practice as a people. Well, out of practice with social interaction, possibly out of practice with truly, truly thinking for ourselves. I think we're out of practice with that. I think a lot of people have been stuck to the news um, and they're not really thinking for themselves if you're just you know, a news junkie, um, because you're being fed information that you don't know necessarily if it's true or not. Also, I think we're out of practice of direct socialization, where we allow everyone to have their own opinions, where it's not such a charged subject. I know that um, we see in the media or even on social media that there's a lot of heated interactions. So maybe we're out of practice of the old-fashioned way of thinking of don't talk about politics or religion or how much money people make. (laughs) So maybe there's some of that that we're out of practice with. When we talked in the past about dealing with anxiety and fear, one of the things you suggested was to name it, to name, Mm. name what's bothering you. Do you think that if a person were to sit down and collect their thoughts, turn off the news for a few minutes, and to, Uh to say out loud the things that they're hearing in the news that are causing them fear? Could that be the starting point for a strategy to deal with that? Um, I wouldn't necessarily have come up with with that myself, but I think that would be a good place to start because it would be a place to go inward and to begin to analyze for oneself. So yes, what is this making me afraid of? And then to go back each layer. So eventually it would be, I'm afraid of losing my family. I'm afraid of losing my home. I'm afraid of losing my friends. I think possibly, and this is me leading the conversation, but possibly people would come to the conclusion that people are the most important. So, you know, it's not belief systems. It's not rules. It's not mandates. It's not regulations. They've come back to see that, well, gosh, really the most important thing to me are people. You know, ideally that would turn into uh, more compassion for everyone or possibly more forgiveness or more understanding in their interactions with others. There's a phrase that you and I agreed that we're not fond of, and that is the new normal. People talked about it a lot a few months ago. And now that we're starting to see what that looks like, I wonder what you have to say about the idea of what's normal for us and what's actually natural for us. 
Mm-hmm. It's a great conversation. I think so much in society has become normal and people accept it because it's normal. And if you could see me, I'm using quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. Not really. I'm imagining could, it. Yes. Right? Yeah. So normal does not mean it's natural. So is it normal for people to eat um, processed food all day long? Yeah, it's normal. Is it natural? No. Is it good for them? No. Is it normal for teenagers to be hateful to their parents or super rebel? Yeah, in our society, it's normal. Is it natural? No, it's not. Is it healthful to that young person or to the parents? No. Is it normal to sit on your screen or be on your phone for, I don't know, six to 12 hours a day? Yeah, it's normal. Is it natural? Absolutely not. Is it good for us? No. I don't care if something's normal. So many things that are normal are unhelpful and unnatural and not for our highest and best good. Well, Susan, in light of this perspective, do you have any suggestions for ways that people can embrace more natural activities and behaviors and try to get away from that normalized bad stuff that we're dealing with? Turn off the television. Um, People are the most important thing. Our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones, even strangers, you know, we're social creatures and we need other people. So that would be the first thing. Turn your television off. What did we do before we were on our screens? And I think that will get us a little bit closer to natural. Another thing would be, you know, even just being outside, even looking up at the stars. I mean, how often do we stop and do that? And maybe I'm just speaking of myself, you know, what makes me feel like I'm more natural and and therefore happier is being outside. I think what I'm hearing, Susan, is that you're illuminating ways that work very well for you and for most people, mm-hmm. I would think, to, to kind of cut through the static, to pull back the curtain that we build up around ourselves that can often be made of fear and anxiety, to pull back that curtain and look at what's beyond. Right. And everyone has to do it for themselves. That's the thing. Think to yourself, hmm, what makes me happy? What can I do or not do that would bring a little more peace in my life, a little less anxiety? You know, coming back to that word should again, my goodness, am I doing things I should do that honestly I don't need to? Maybe there are those things, you know, and to peel back and see what's right for you. I could give you a list. Goodness, I am like the advice giver queen, probably. That's why I became a therapist, so I could make it legit. But um, (laughs) it doesn't, right? Just because I give advice doesn't mean that anyone should take it because they need to think for themselves. So that's really what it comes down to. Think for yourself. Take a moment to be by yourself. Take a moment to be quiet, to be silent, to ask yourself some questions like, hey, what's going to make me more peaceful? What's going to make me more content? What's going to make me happier? Susan Miner talked with me from her home in Florida. Her most recent book is Peace Inside, Beauty Outside. Who will be the voices of the future? The NPR Student Podcast Challenge is a nationwide talent search for youth between 5th and 12th grades. 
Earlier this year, these aspiring podcasters were invited to create their own audio stories from the ground up, based on any topic they chose. Their teachers submitted these stories to NPR, and the challenge finalists will be announced later this month. The sound quality in these homemade productions may vary, but one thing is consistent, the students' very high level of enthusiasm for their favorite topics. These podcast excerpts all come from Julie Michelle's fifth grade class in the Catalina Foothills School District. Hello, my space cadets. Do you ever look up at the night sky and wonder what is up there? I do. We have sent satellites and space probes up to see our nine planets, but we're still learning so much about them. We race around the galactic center at 124,280 miles per hour. Isn't that fast? We circled the galactic center every 250 million years, which is a very long time. I've always loved space and the millions of galaxies around us, so I want to tell you about our nine planets and our small galaxy. Oh, I didn't see you there. Just finishing up my visit at the Greek Mythology Museum. But anyway, hey everyone, I'm so glad you're here. I would love to tell you about Greek gods. Would you like to learn so many interesting facts and hear so many stories about them? I thought you would. The first story I'm going to tell you is the Three Sisters of Fate. In Greek mythology, the Morae are the three goddesses of fate. The three sisters weave the fate of humans and gods alike. Neither human nor god has the power to influence or question their judgment and actions. Clotho, the youngest one, spins the thread of life. She is the very origin. The creation of life itself and her thread is spun upon the birth of a person. Latias, the second sister, is the one that determines the fate of people during life. This name comes from the Greek word lanchano, which means to obtain from lots. In that sense, one can understand that their destiny is chosen out of a myriad of possibilities. It is said that Latias measures the thread of life with her rod, determining its length and nature. The last sister of fate is Atropos, the unturning. Atropos is the cutter of the thread of life, and with her many shears, she determines how someone will die. That is one of my favorite stories. Ma'am, the museum is closing. Wait, the museum is closing? It's 6.30. No, it's only... What? Okay, okay, I'm leaving. You're locked in. What do you mean I'm locked in? Uh, you're gonna have to stay the night. No, I am not staying the night. Please let me out. Sorry the beauty Sam's closed. I can't do that for you. Ugh. Well, it seems like I'm staying the night. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Well, I'd better get comfortable. At least I brought a blanket. Today I'm going to do a podcast about why kids like stuffed toys. I have more than 100 stuffed toys. How many stuffed toys do you have? I love my stuffed toys, and here are three reasons why you should like them, too. I like them because they are soft. If you feel alone, a stuffed toy can make you feel better. I like them because they can be warm and gentle. Everyone can feel good touching one. You can tell a stuffed toy all your secrets. Having stuffed animals when we are little teaches us how to make friends and be kind to others. I recommend that you cuddle with a stuffed animal when you are very lonely or stressed 
all when you are going to bed. Arf, 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 arf. Oh wait, I'm not even a dog. Well, maybe you're thinking of adopting one. If so, listen closely, because I'm going to help you find the perfect dog and size for you. So, I'm going to start with Big Dog Advantages, because they definitely have some good ones. Big dogs tend to be more loving and cuddly, though they do tend to scare people because of their size. And even better is that there are so many of them to love and adopt, as well as they're super great with kids, no matter what you do. And along with that, you can train them super easily without any problems. I'm here with Gianna, a fifth grade student in an elementary school. Gianna, what do you think are some good things about big dogs? Well, I have a big dog at home. His name is Cosmo, and it's really awesome. So one thing about big dogs is that um, they're very funny. It's easy for them to make you laugh. It's different from small dogs, because small dogs like to be, they're just necessarily better than small dogs, of course. Thank you, Gianna, for that. And you obviously have an opinion over big dogs? Yeah. Okay, thank you. We just heard excerpts from podcasts created by Zane, Jet, Graham, and Allie, all fifth graders in the Catalina Foothill School District, and participants in the NPR Student Podcast Challenge. Tune in next week to hear a few more. The Podcast Challenge is an excellent example of the boundless creativity of youth. But there's a program here in Tucson sponsored by Literacy Connects called Stories That Soar. Their mission is to help young writers explore the power and possibility of bringing their stories to life on stage, on video, and as radio stories. You've been hearing some of them about once a month here on Spotlight during the pandemic. I asked Sharon O'Brien, the artistic director of Stories That Soar, to share with me some of the reasons why she believes in their mission and about a special event happening this weekend that showcases the creativity of youth in our community. On an average year, we get over 10,000 stories, and I've been doing this for 19 years. And it blows me away every time I open that box that I read something that surprises me. You would think that you have read every story possible, every way you can put words together and ideas together, but it's not true. Kids' imaginations are limitless. And I feel like the writing that kids do for the Magic Box is so raw and so honest. They're not writing for a grade. They're not trying to impress anyone. They're just letting these stories out and letting them land on the page however they get there with punctuation, without punctuation, with pictures to help, with words spelled however they're able to do it. There's these gems every time. Well, it seems like in a way you're inviting the community to join you in opening a big story box this weekend. Uh, What's going on and how would you describe it? At the end of every season, we have a best of stories that soar. It's where we take one or two stories from each of the schools where we worked and we bring them onto the big stage. Well, this year, we weren't on the stage. We did it all virtually. 
the theme this year is no stopping the magic because really there's no stopping the fact that kids still needed to write and that we still needed to connect. So we switched from doing live theater to filmmaking and animation and stop motion and music videos. I mean, we, we just really dove in. And this weekend, we're going to be having a drive-in, Best of Stories That Soar, at the Mercado San Augustine Annex. We're just, we really are ready for a celebration. And that's what we plan to do is acknowledge that this year was tough and also celebrate that we held these traditions, even if we had to do them in a different way, and that we kept writing, we kept sticking together, and we're going to celebrate these stories. It's free, but it's very limited because it's a drive-in and there's only a limited amount of spaces. After the big event, we will be posting the pieces on our Literacy Connects YouTube channel because we you know, it's about sharing these stories. We want them to get out, just like you were saying. It's about inviting the community in. And we are so fortunate that we have so many sponsors and donors that allow us to do that. Well, tell us about the story that we're about to hear next, because I've got to say, this one kind of stands out. It, it, it <laughs> sounds like what you're talking about, maintaining the creative energy and the momentum of stories that soar, can really be heard in this production. Yes, it is different. (laughs) This one is just all out zany imagination. And we picked it because this is the kind of story that only a kid could write. Outrageous characters looking at something as a clock on the wall and giving it life because it was so outrageous. We really went all out with our energy as well. Well, next, prepare yourself for The Clock, an unusual story about time with some Looney Tunes-style energy. It was written by Michaela, a sixth grader at Summit View Elementary School. One average day, there was a clock, but not an ordinary clock. This clock was alive. The clock was very mean and very rude. One day, as kids went to school, the clock was there, waiting to torture them. Oh, hello there. (laughs) Clock, what do you need from me? I need you to have seven more hours of school! What? Clock, no, that can't happen. Oh, yes it can! I can just say my rhyme, and you all will have seven more hours of school. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, this can't no. be happening. Oh, no. no. Clock, no. It's time for class. I will send you back with a simple ask. No one asked. didn't ask. The clock didn't care. Everyone had seven more hours of school. <laughs> Well, at least we have the weekend to recover from this long day. The next day was Saturday. One student was so happy they were dancing around the room getting ready to go back to bed and sleep. 
Cook, how did you get here? The clock was there on their wall. I followed you. It's time to go back to school. No, it's not. It's Saturday. Oh, we can change that with a little bit of fast forward time. No, I do not want to go back to class. It's time for class. I'm I will not ask. No, 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 no. But, boom, pow, splat. They were back in class. After seven more extra hours of school, one student walked up to the clock and said, Clock, why do you do this? Why do you make our school day so long? Why do you make our breaks so short? I just want to know why. Do you know what it feels like to watch you kids having fun? To be doing stuff in life? When you're a clock, you're just stuck inside a, a glass, a glass dog bowl of emotion. <laughs> but wow, clock, I didn't know you felt like that. We're having a party this afternoon. You want to come along? Really? After, after how I've been to you? Really, clock. Uh, okay, that would be really fun. At the party, they were dancing pop and lock, having fun drinking juice and stuff, until the party host mom shouted, Oh my, would you look at the time? Time for the party to be over, kids! Ah, Mom, come on! Come we're having on, so much man. fun! We're just getting so much, we're having so much fun! There's so much juice left! Yeah, I can fix it! What? Really? How? How about we just do a rewind? <laughs> Listen up, fellow students. It's time to party. So let Yippee! me rewind. It's time to start. <laughs> Ever since then, the clock still had its ways. It couldn't make things fun all the time, but it did the normal amount of class, the normal amount of fun, and the normal amount of everything. And ever since then, the students always said, how's it going? And they started conversations with the clock. And the clock was no longer lonely. And a happy ending was born. The end. The Clock was written by Michaela, a sixth grader at Summit View Elementary School. It was produced by the team at Stories That Soar. Interested student-age writers can submit their stories now to the Magic Box Story Portal at literacyconnects.org. This Saturday evening, May 22nd, at the Mercado San Augustine Annex, there will be a drive-in screening of the best of Stories That Soar, tales featured on video. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance by Yasmin Acosta. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.